everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me as usual is the other half of the show, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, happy show number 170. 170, man. That that's a, that is a lot of shows, Jeff. I got to say, when we first started this, I was hoping we'd make it to 10. <laughs> I think it's so over a lot of our listeners were working. We're hoping we'd only make it to 10 too, but here we are on 170 and uh, still going. So <laughs> we've got some good stuff today. We've got a very interesting topic we're going to talk about later today, but first Mark, as usual, we need to warm up. We need to stretch out. We need to do those things with the bands, you know, where you lay on the ground, oh, yeah. the trainer comes and gives you the yeah. bands. We need to do that. It's time for BP. Maybe we should play some pepper. No, that's not allowed. That's oh, that's not. right. Well, I, I don't know if it's not allowed anymore. Remember at Old Shea Stadium, it actually said on the, the wall, it said no pepper allowed. That's right. They don't have that there anymore. I think somebody needs to test this out and go play pepper and just see maybe, if they get in trouble. Maybe there's a competitive pepper league now, and so it's encouraged. I don't know. I wonder how many people at a baseball stadium even know what pepper is. Yeah. Probably not a whole lot. We can make that a segment. You know, before BP, we could have pepper. We I'm just saying. Well, yeah, if we have too many things going on. But right. let's get into BP because I got a lot of stuff I do want to talk about. And this is all BP. We're getting ready for the show. You texted me about this earlier in the week, and I had already written this this thing. So we're going to go for it here. The Angels. They've gone through some extreme measures here lately to break the slump that they finally busted out of they went to some real extreme measures earlier last week because everybody walked up to their own nickelback song yes normally you know you as a player you get to pick what song you want to walk up to unless you just don't care and then you leave it up to the people in the control room and then they sometimes have fun with you in order to to try and break this i think it was 14 games they'd ended up being everybody got a a nickelback song and guess what it didn't work what it didn't no. work. No, they did not. They did not win that night. Uh, let's see. So I've got a list here of the playlist. So Otani got Photograph. Joe Adele, who when Joe Adele is up and in your lineup, it means you're probably struggling as is. He got Rockstar. Matt Walsh got How You Remind Me. And then some of these, I, I'm sure I've heard these before, but I'm, you know, Nickelback songs. I can't, I can't repeat titles right off the top of my head, but everybody got a different one. What I was a little bit surprised, there were two songs missing. Nobody was given the song Hero, but I guess when you're in a 14-game losing streak, nobody can really be called a hero, is my assumption. Well, yeah, you're really looking for one at that point. Yeah, and then uh, Burn It to the Ground. I think they probably avoided that one on purpose. Uh, or they were going to give it to Joe Madden, but they canned him the night before, so they didn't. Didn't want to do that. I had a suggestion for them instead of it because the Nickelback thing didn't work. How about everybody walks up to a song by Liza Minnelli? <laughs> no? Well, it, it couldn't have gotten a worse <laughs> Although this did bring this back. And I think we talked about this in a past episode that at one point the Mariners, this was four or five years ago, the Mariners were in a slump, which again does not really specify a time frame. But just uh, it was when Gene Segura and, and Robinson Cano were both on the team. And Gene Segura was literally the only person in that lineup that was getting on base. So Robinson Cano requested that everybody walk up to Gene Segura's music for the entire game. That's right. Did you work this game? I know. I remember I was there. I don't remember who else. Was I did there. not work that game. That must have been uh, Little Mitchie. 
Yeah, so it, it was fun the first time through the order. The rest of the game decidedly less so. It was <laughs> even the players were looking up at, you know, at where we sit saying, like, please stop. But Cano told us to do it. So you got to do it. That's right. Speaking of walk ups, I've been watching the Reds again this week and Joey Votto. I did not know what his walk up was. It is Jolene by Dolly Parton. <laughs> which I did it. Yeah, it was. I was really hoping it was kind of a custom song that was Joey instead of Jolene, but no, it's it's right. Dolly Parton. I was thinking maybe they could have used the theme song from uh, the Friends spinoff Joey. I realized I had no idea what that theme song was, but I'm sure somebody could look it up. Or maybe just have Joey Lawrence from Blossom say, "Whoa, whoa!" That was there. You go. I see. I am full of good ideas. Or at least That's ideas, right. yeah. Cool nickname alert. The uh, NCAA tournament, baseball tournament, is in full swing. They're getting ready. By the time you hear this, I think everybody will have clinched their spot in Omaha. There is a player on the University of Texas. His name is Ivan Melendez. And he is a big dude. <laughs> He's hit 31 home runs as of this recording. I know they're playing a, a winner go home game later today when we're recording on Sunday. Right. 31 home runs to tie Chris Bryant for the single season record. His nickname, the Hispanic Titanic. Nice. How oh, awesome I, I is that? I like him. That's amazing. I know. Even though he's playing for the University of Texas, I like this dude. <laughs> we talk a lot about Steve Sachs here quite a bit. He's uh, been a regular on Wax Packs Heroes. He was in the Simpsons softball episode. And one of the few players who actually did appear in an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But on a serious note, his son John was involved in a marine helicopter crash last week and unfortunately was killed. Captain John Jeremy Sachs was 33 and part of the five-person air crew that was killed when their helicopter crashed during a training exercise in the California desert. So our thoughts are with Steve Sachs and his family. Sometimes the reality that comes along with baseball, it's uh, the difficult part. Yes. All right. So I wanted to do something. Uh, obviously, the Ricky Henderson book came out last week. Hopefully, you know, some of our listeners have, have picked it up and are reading it and enjoying it. I wanted to just throw in a couple. I'm just going to do one here. I, for the next little while, I think I'm just going to throw in a, a story I didn't know about every now and then about Ricky that I've learned from this book. And I wanted to, to do this one today. Ricky uh, has always been known to, I'm not sure a polite way to say it, but he's kept very good track of his money. Very good track of his money. He's cheap. That's what. <laughs> Despite this reputation, Ricky would never spend any of the per diem money that he was given when he would leave for a road trip. So each, I think it's up to like 120 $17 a day or something that major leaguers get per day when they're yes. on the road for food. Well, instead, he would bundle them up. So for each road trip, he'd take that money, put a rubber band around it, and he'd put it in a shoebox. And then he, what do you do is he'd drive down to his old neighborhood in Bushrod here in Oakland, and he'd give the rolls of cash to kids who would show that they're keeping up their grades. Nice. I think that's very cool. Ricky has always been very... Uh, he's always looked out for where he came up from. And I thought that was really cool. That was something I did not know. That's really cool. All right, Mark, it's time for a Lars Newt Bar update. It's going to be a sh very short one. <laughs> <laughs> Since our last show, he has played in exactly one game in which he took the caller over four. Season on base is down to 228. 
I'm hoping we can get a bad news bear style chant going at Cardinals games. You know, like let Lars play, let yes. Lars play. It's just a matter of time. I hope so. <laughs> or trade well, I him. I truly believe. My trade friend. him to Oakland. He'll play here. There you go. There you go. All right. This show is debuting on June 14th. I got a couple of debuts I wanted to talk about. First of all, today in 1996, Darren Erstad makes his debut in the major leagues for the, let's see, they were the California Angels still his first year in 1996. I like that. All around good ball player. Yeah. Darren Erstad, also the starting punter. For the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers 1994 National Championship football team. We've mentioned that before. I'm not sure how many other baseball players have a national championship football ring from college. Mm-hmm. June 25th, 2000, Darren Erstad hit a leadoff home run. That's cool. We like that. Then in the bottom of the 11th inning, he hit a walk-off home run as well. That had only happened two times in baseball history prior to that game. First person to ever do it was our buddy Sliding Billy Hamilton in 1893. He probably had like eight stolen bases as well, just from going from first to third on a single in that game. Also, Vic Power in 1957 showed his power. Erstad is also the only player in baseball history to win a gold glove in both the outfield and the infield. In 2000, 2002, he earned a gold glove in the outfield. And then two years later, he was moved to first by the angels and he won a gold glove there in the year 2000. He had exactly 100 RBI, the first player in major league history to ever drive in at least hundred RBI as the leadoff hitter. Pretty wow. cool. Yeah. That's impressive. That was clearly his highest RBI total too. in 80 or I'm sorry in 98, he drove in 82, which was his second highest. That was it. In the year 2000, beyond that 100 RBI, he led the league with 240 hits as well and a 409 on base. Last debut for today, June 14th. I wanted to make sure to mention this. In 2011, none other than Chris Carpenter made his debut. (laughs) But wait, it's not that Chris Carpenter. It's not even the other Chris Carpenter. <laughs> different. This Chris Carpenter debuted for the Cubs in 2011. He appeared in 10 games that year with a 2.79 ERA. And then he appeared in eight games for the Red Sox the next season with a decidedly much, much larger ERA. And then that was it for him in the bigs. He went on to pitch one season with the Yakult Swallows in Japan, as well as uh, he married a former Miss Missouri so good for him. Well, good for him. All right. That's it for our BP segment. Grounds crew is on it because they're the best in the business. And we are ready to get into our main topic today. Mark, I am going to take it today. And, you know, we talk a lot about baseball cards on this show. It's kind of say half the show is we're, we're looking at baseball cards. There is a time when a Brian Taylor rookie card was <laughs> sought after just as much as a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Yes, there was. Yeah, well, today, that cannot be said. Not the same thing. Uh, let's go back to the MLB draft in 1990. The Yankees were still definitely the Yankees of the late 80s at that point. The year before, they had finished with 67 wins, their worst mark in 77 years. Because of their futility, though, they had the number one pick in the draft. And that's where our subject for this week, Brian Taylor, comes in. Taylor was a high school senior in Beaufort, North Carolina. He finished his senior season with 213 strikeouts in 88 innings. He gave up just 18 hits his senior year. 
and his ERA was 0.48. And at one point, he threw back-to-back no-hitters. Wow. To no surprise, he was named the 1991 USA Today High School Player of the Year. Each of his games were must-see games, packed with scouts. Taylor was touching 99, as well as befuddling and baffling batters with a beautiful breaking ball. I wrote that. That was, <laughs> it was late. They weren't just regional scouts, though, at these games, though, either. Major League GMs were showing up to watch Brian Taylor pitch. There was that much interest. Ron Rizzi, who's been a baseball scout for more than 50 years, at that time he was scouting for the Brewers, he said this, quote, the best pitcher I have ever scouted was Brian Taylor. He would have been one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball. He pitched a perfect game, struck out every single guy, and his last pitch was clocked at 98. Wow. He's getting close to 100 the entire game. That's incredible. Well, this kid was highly touted preparing to enter the draft, so... You know what that does. That activates Scott Boris's special sense. Yes, of course. (laughs) So doing what he does, Boris gets in good with Brian's mother, Betty. I'm guessing uh, when I told you that Brian was from Beaufort, North Carolina, you gathered that it was probably a pretty small rural town, and it was. The Taylors did not have any money. They lived in a double-wide trailer, and both parents had full-time manual labor jobs just to make ends meet. So being drafted was going to change the lives of this entire family. This was going to be a generational shift for this Taylor family. This is also just one year removed from the A's drafting Todd Van Poppel and giving him the unheard of sum of $1.2 million right out of high school. Brian was considered by everybody to be head and shoulders above Van Poppel. So more than that total was put into the mind of the Taylors by Scott Boris. Draft day comes, and as expected, the Yankees pick Taylor with the number one overall, and they open up with an offer of $350,000. Hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money, but yeah. a little bit shy of the, uh, of the uh, $1.5 million that Boris was looking for. So, reportedly, the Yankees even showed up at the Taylor's home with a briefcase full of cash in uh, an attempt to try and lure them into taking it. Which, again, you know, if you're living in a double-wide and you're working manual labor, that, that's a lot of money, but they held steady. Another fun thing that was happening around this time was the boss, George Steinbrenner. This was during that time when he was suspended from baseball after being found guilty for being an awful human and trying to dig up dirt on his own outfielder, Dave Winfield. This didn't keep the boss, though, from putting in his two cents onto what was going on in the Yankee organization, and he did that through the press. Steinbrenner proclaimed that if Taylor wasn't signed, somebody should be shot. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm not an expert on negotiation, but I would think that the owner of the team trying to sign a player, saying that a player better be signed or somebody's going to get shot, doesn't seem like it's actually going to be helpful to anybody but the player. Yeah, that uh, doesn't seem like the direction you would be trying to uh, push them. And you know who was probably the, the most happy about that comment was Scott Boris. Absolutely. He's just, he's just imagining himself with bags with the, with the dollar signs on them running around. And he was definitely in full agreement with Steinbrenner. (laughs) Well, as as suspected, it didn't help. Boris had come up with the number of 1.5 million and they weren't budging. The Yankees continued to up their offers, but they still weren't even halfway there. 
So to put more pressure on the Yankees, Taylor enrolled in Louisburg Junior College. Now, if Brian showed up for just a single class, the Yankees would lose him. He would go back into the draft. He'd also get to play a year of, of junior college ball. Uh, one of the things against Taylor here is he did not have the grades to go play in a D1 school. So they're leveraging this junior college to, to try and put some pressure on the Yankees. The day classes started at Lewisburg, Brian left the house, got in a car, and went to the campus. They were going to really see if the Yankees were serious or not. This final move finally freaked the Yankees out enough that they gave in. $1.5 million. Steinbrenner, his reaction after saying that somebody should be shot if they didn't sign him, this was his reaction, quote, never in my wildest dreams would I have paid that kid a million and a half. I never said go spend a million and a half. No way. On a high school kid? No way. End quote. Okay, no. George, <laughs> Georgie, 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 you, you didn't seem at least... From what we're hearing here, you didn't give that kind of guidance. You no. said someone sign him or they're going to get shot. So the, the Yankees GM at this point, Stick. Remember, that was his nickname, was Stick. Whatever they were paying him at this point, not even close to enough. <laughs> have to put up with this. Oh, gosh, stuff. no. So to the instructional league, Brian went. And it was uh, pretty obvious pretty quickly that this was not the same competition that Brian faced in Beaufort, North Carolina. One thing. He had no idea how to hold runners on base. That's because when he was pitching in high school, no one ever reached base. <laughs> there was no one on first. What's he going to do? The stretch? What is that? I don't know what that is. Yeah. So he finished the summer at 6-8. and eight. He struck at 187 in 161 innings, and he finished with a 2.57 ERA. He started the next season in double A after being named the number two overall minor league prospect behind some guy named Chipper Jones. Hmm. In double A, he finished with a 13 and seven mark and a 3.48 ERA. His walk total ballooned and doubled to over 100. But, uh, you know, he still was having a tough time. This competition a lot stiffer than anything he had ever faced. Despite not being the kind of seasons they had hoped for, Taylor roomed for a while with a young Derek Jeter as the Yankees made plans to start Taylor in AAA in 1994 and hopefully be on track for a late-season call-up to the majors at the end of 94. Taylor went home for the offseason this year for the first time in his professional career. It would be a decision that would affect the rest of his life. In December, an incident occurred where Brian's brother, who was dating a woman named Anna Wilson, Taylor's brother told Brian that he'd gotten in an argument with Anna's brother, Ron, and that Ron had sucker punched him. Well, Brian was a big family guy, still is, not a family guy fan, but, you know, an actual <laughs> family guy. He wasn't going to stand around for that, so he headed to Ron's house. There he confronted Ron and at one point tried to throw a punch. Well, Ron ducked this punch. So Brian, he swung and missed and crumpled to the ground in pain. This incident spread throughout the baseball world like wildfire. Scott Boris downplayed it, saying, eh, he's just a bruised shoulder, he's going to be fine. But he went and he visited famed Tommy John surgeon, Dr. Frank Job. And uh, this is what Job said, quote, this is the worst rotator cuff tear I've ever seen. It is completely off the bone, end quote. Brian had torn both his labrum and shoulder capsule. 
ripping his left arm out of the socket and dislocating his shoulder in the process. He underwent surgery 10 days later. Not a surprise. He was out for the 94 season. 95, after rehabbing, he returned to the mound for the Yankees Gulf Coast Rookie League team. He started 11 games. He went 2-5 and with a 6.08 ERA. He walked 54 and struck out only 38 in 40 innings pitched. That's a big difference. (laughs) Uh, It didn't get any better the next year. He went 1-10 with a 14.13 ERA. Well, how do you get the one win? Uh, (laughs) That's a good, good question. He walked 121 in 65 innings and struck out only 48. Oh, so it's like all of these numbers are reversed. Yeah. From where he he was headed. His fastball could still hit about 90, but he no longer had any semblance of control. That season, the Yankees won the World Series with their young core of players whom he was supposed to be one of and obviously went on to win many more. Brian would continue to try and get back to any semblance of himself. But by 2000, he was out of baseball. At this point, he had four kids of his own, and he was working to make ends meet at UPS in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then he ended up being charged with a misdemeanor after leaving his kids at home unsupervised for nine hours while he went to play pool. Oh, jeez. How does one play pool for nine hours? Let alone, you know, leave your kids at home unsupervised. That's obviously the headline here. He didn't show up to court. And soon there were four warrants out for his arrest. He moved back in with his parents into a house that he had bought them with his signing money, but he continued to find more trouble. In 2010, he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And then in 2012, he was arrested for selling more than 28 grams of cocaine to an undercover narcotics agent. In all, he distributed more than 200 grams of crack cocaine and around 100 grams of, I guess, just normal cocaine over a period of several months. He pled guilty and faced the possibility of 5 to 40 years in federal prison. Ultimately, he was sentenced to 50 months. Since his release, he seems to have gotten his life in a little bit better order. He still lives with his parents. He holds down a steady job. A few years ago, there was a YouTube video that showed him arm wrestling a 53-year-old woman named Farm Girl in a bar in Moorhead City. So I watched the video. Uh, First of all, I don't think this woman's 53. She's in very good shape. But uh, Taylor's a big dude, and he actually looked pretty healthy. He's He's a large individual, but his arms look like he's... He probably works out a lot with his arms, but that's about it. I'll I'll say that. Farm Girl, though, is a ringer who goes around and challenges men to arm wrestle and then usually wins, and then they post it on the internet and everybody laughs. She did not, however, beat Brian. They wrestled to a draw, but he was never in any danger of actually losing, and it looked like he was not even really trying. One of his friends then stepped in and lost in like five seconds, but he is said to regularly get gas at the In-N-Out Express if you ever want to catch him. I found it interesting that that was mentioned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the in and out Road uh, trip. express. Yeah. Let's go see if we can catch him. Uh, interesting note that in the same draft that the Yankees took Taylor, a kid from New York City right there in the Yankees backyard was making headlines and went 13th overall to Cleveland. That player, Manny Ramirez. 
Might have been a better choice. But again, this Brian Taylor was thought by everybody to be. Oh, yeah. This guy is going to be the best pitcher to ever take them out. Oh, man. I remember there was a big deal, a giveaway that Upper Deck did. They gave away these. Uh, there were small uh, baseball card holding folders, and it came with a Brian Taylor rookie in it. And it was a big deal. I, I must have finagled my way into 10 or 12 of those things. Well, let, I, I, I got some baseball card stuff to talk about here I, I did want to look at the at the draft first here so brian taylor went first and signed for that 1.5 million the hammers drafted second and they took mike kelly oh, wow. out of arizona state signed him for five hundred and seventy-five thousand, so a million dollars less and mike kelly did not have much of a career he only played 327 games in the big leagues next the twins took dave mccarty who had a little bit longer career than Demet Hook, Demetri Young, mm-hmm. the Cardinals picked. Goes down the line here. Nobody really had much. We've got Sean Estes and Doug Glanville, who had pretty good careers at 11 and 12. And then, like I said, Cleveland took Manny Ramirez with the 13th pick, and he was obviously the big guy from this draft. You know, there's some names here in this draft that we certainly recognize, including Scott Stehoviak, who we had last week, who was one of my all-time favorites. I mean, this guy had all the talent in the world, and just an accident really derailed him. Also, as you were mentioning, Brian Taylor cards were the holy grail for a while. After finally signing his contract with the Yankees, he then signed an exclusive contract for $250,000 to classic baseball cards. No tops. No upper deck, no flair, no Donruss. Classic. Classic reported that the sets were sold out in six days. They netted close to $30 million for their products that year with Brian Taylor compared to the $1 million they, they earned in 1990. Wow. That is a huge. But classic? Like, yeah. the only way I remember getting classic baseball cards is there was a board game that they produced that came with baseball yeah. cards that you would play with. Yes. They would come in sets and and be sold, like, uh, at uh, regular retailers and just kind of hang in there. And you would buy them in the plastic sets, and and that was that was classic. Yeah. And, yeah, see, so they had a game and stuff like that, but they were never revered as, as great no. cards. No, and... Yet they shelled out apparently more than tops. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's weird. But the thing is, after that deal, that was a one-year deal. The day that expired, Topps signed Taylor to a new exclusive deal to produce the cards. And these are, he's never appeared in the majors. So, I mean, you could technically produce a Brian Taylor card today and it would be a rookie card. Yeah. Upper Deck thought they were in the mix as well for this second contract. So much so that Brian Taylor was included on their preliminary checklists for their 92 set. But after the deal with Tops, Upper Deck had to redo their checklists. And I'm wondering if those checklists ever got distributed. And if so, I mean, are those worth anything? Hmm. I don't know. You know, eventually everybody got to print a Brian Taylor (laughs) rookie card. But unfortunately, none of them. I mean, I, I got to say, Classic really came out the winner here. Oh, yeah. That's a big move. Big, bold move for Classic. $30 million for, and they only paid quarter of a million. And for somebody that only netted a million the year before, I think they definitely came out the winners with that. 
I mean, you can catch a, a couple of interviews from the past couple of years with Brian Taylor on the internet. He sounds like he's doing a much better, and I hope he's, you know, at least got his life together enough that he's uh, he's doing okay. It's, it's really strange. We've, we've been having a lot of coincidences. I was actually wondering the other day, I was thinking about Brian Taylor and going, wonder whatever happened to him, and then you're doing the show on him. It's crazy. I feel like we've pulled a Brian Taylor in wax packs. I don't know. Hmm. I feel like we did because we got excited about it. But, uh, well, you know what? Maybe we'll pull one today. Hey. Why don't we try? I, even, despite the fact we're opening cards from 88, we're going to try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give it a shot. All right. With that being said, let's head into our final segment of the show. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Wax All right, Mark, I'm, I think you're nervous at this point. I am. Um, we had a pep talk and a closed door meeting with the team the other day. The spread was overturned. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> some, Very a upset. lot of shouting. Yes. So I have won two in a row, which in itself is a miracle. But at the beginning of a season, it's even more so. Uh, the scoreboard right now reads three to two. Mark is on top. Mark is also the three-time defending champion. As I mentioned, we're going to be opening some packs from 1988 this year. Some Fleer. I always like opening Fleer. Fleer is one of my favorites. A couple of rules. What we're going to do is we are going to open these packs and we are going to total up the baseball reference war for each player from the year of the cards. The aforementioned 1988. A couple of other ways you can add or subtract to that score. Anything on the player's face. Glasses, mustache, eye black. They've got some sleep in their eye or they're crying. If there's a tear, doesn't matter. Plus a tenth of a point of war for that. If they're wearing real stirrups, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point. But if you're wearing the two and ones, you're going to minus a tenth of a point. If you're wearing sweatbands with your caricature or your jersey number on it, that's a tenth of a point in the plus. If you played any of their final three seasons in Seattle, that's a tenth of a point for each season. If they have two ear flaps or no ear flaps on a batting helmet, if they are batting without batting gloves, each of those things are going to get you an extra tenth of a point. You get an extra half a point of war if you win an award in 1988. That's Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP. If you're an all-star or you win a gold glove. If you're in the Hall of Fame, even if you're not in the if you're not the focus of the card, if there's a Hall of Famer on that card, you're going to get a whole point of war. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan shows up in either of our packs, which they could in 1988, if it's a Ricky, I get five points. If it's a Nolan Ryan, Mark, you get five points. And we're each of us are going to pick a team. If Mark pulls a card with my team, he minuses half a point of war. If I pull one with my team, I get a half a point of war. So, Mark, what team do you want to choose today? Today, I'm going to go with the Boston Red Sox. I thought you were going to go with the Yankees because we were talking about Brian Taylor. And that's, well, I was giving you the opportunity yeah, to do Yeah, because so. I'm, I'm going to. Plus, you know, you chose the Red Sox, so I'll choose yeah. my favorite team, the Yankees. Oh, yes. <laughs> we know that. Two of our favorite teams. All right. So I've got these two packs here. I've got one in my left hand, one in my right hand. Mark, which one would you like to choose? Going right. Going right. All right. I'm going to have you go first. I just want to mention also these packs donated by a friend of the show, Jeff Shamrock, who is convalescing we hope he's doing well 
Now, there are 15 cards in these packs, so we're going to each have to lose five. Do you want to lose the top or the bottom five? I'm going to go with the top five. So, well, that's not a good start for you. You're going to lose Steve Carlton. Ooh. Uh, of course, this is Minnesota Twins Steve Carlton, so very late in his career and probably not that great. Mike Jackson with the Phillies. Scott Bales with Cleveland. Oh, you lost the Cobra. Dave Parker with the mm. Reds. And outfielder for the Blue Jays, Juan Beniquez. Mm. Kind of a mixed bag. I don't feel like you're... I think Parker's probably the the one you're going to lose the most points with there. But uh, here we go. We're going to jump right in with an Astro, an outfielder, whose name I remember, but that's about it. Ty Ganey. Ty Ganey, I believe, was a center fielder. Um, I don't think he played for very long for the Strohs, but... uh... Yeah, he didn't. Three years in the big leagues. He played played some center field, played kind of all three positions. It's, I think he was your classic seventh outfielder. Because yes, he did not, that's it. His career high in games was 26 in 1986. 87 was his last year in the big leagues. So unfortunately, nothing for you there. Career 293 on base, career 63 OPS, and a career war of minus 0.3. Good news for you is he's got a mustache here in this, uh, in this picture. So you're going to start off with at least a, a tenth of a point in the in the positive there. The Ty Ganey baseball reference page is being hammered right now, apparently, and it's throwing an error. So I have no he apparently played in uh, Taiwan, Japan and Mexico. But I can't tell you what he did there because too many people are just randomly searching Ty Ganey right now. So. I can tell you he played for the Oryx Blue Wave. Oh. So that's all we know. Probably a little bit before Ichiro. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he was there. All right. So let's go on. Next, you have got a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, Bill Long. Bill Long, not Bill Lee. It is not the spaceman. It is Bill Long, who uh, I can tell you is kind of short on statistics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's good. see. 1988, he went 8 and 11 with a 4.03 ERA. He had two saves and three complete games. I love 80s baseball when you get people like that. 174 <laughs> innings pitched, 77 strikeouts, a 99 ERA plus, And that is going to be a war of a positive 0.1. He's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups here as well. Good news for you. That is a 1.2 from Bill Long. Bill Long with the big score. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when the last this was updated, but it says he's currently a teacher at Gray Middle School in Union, Kentucky, and he teaches sixth grade social studies. Oh, that's cool. We don't learn enough social studies these days. I see he was traded by the Padres along with Ozzie Guillen, Luis Salazar, and Tim Lawler in the same deal that brought Lamar. Where does it hoit? To San Diego. <laughs> I don't think Lamar Hoyt had a great career in San Diego, did he? I don't believe I so. I think he was probably a little bit past his prime, but all right. Well, good for me. Traded for Lamar Hoyt. All right. So you are at 1.3. Your next card is a future manager. It is an outfielder here for the Cubs. It is Dave Martinez. Dave Martinez of the Cubs. Let's see. Full name David Martinez. Boy, I, I think we said this last time we, we pulled him. 16 years in the big leagues, which is a lot. I didn't expect that. 1988, he split time between the Cubs and the Expos. 
Overall, he had a 313 on base and 88 OPS, six home runs, 46 RBI, and all of that will equate to a positive .7 war. All right. Let's see, Davey pitched twice in his career, once with Montreal in 90 and once with the White Sox in 95. Overall, one and a third innings, he gave up two hits, two runs, both earned, walked four. Oh boy, he was traded to the Reds after the 91 season. He was being groomed as a replacement for Eric Davis. Oh, wow. Uh, this is some pretty big shoes. No pressure. To, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, he, you know, he won a World Series with the Nationals. I guess that's, I should probably mention that. I'm wrong with that. Yeah. All right. So, Davey, uh, Davey Martinez helps you out there. Next, we've got a first baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. I remember him mainly from the, uh, from the Dodgers and hearing Vin Scully say his name, Greg Brock. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Gregory Allen Brock. I'm always just going to read their full name. I think that's a good way to start out these things. Ten years in the big leagues, split it evenly between the Dodgers and the Brewers. In 1988, he was the Brewers' primary first baseman. Let's see, ended up with a 329 on base, an 80 OPS, six home runs, 50 RBI. He's had He had better years than this one. 1988, that equals a war of positive .5, though. And the good news for you is he has also got eye black on here. So that'll be a positive go, .6. All right. You're not getting any big numbers here, but you're you're no, we're, you're at least going the right way. We can't afford to keep going the right way and then run into a Hall of Famer on your end. Uh, oh, you attended the University of Wyoming. Nice. Oh, nice. Has his jersey retired there. W-Y-O. Oh. Next, we've got a pitcher for the Hammers. It's Joe Bover. Is that how you Baver, say it? Right? Baver, right? B- it's Baver. B-O-E-V-E-R? I believe it's Baver. He should really spell it with an A if, if he wants that to be the case. Baver the Saver? Yeah, you're you're correct here. The pronunciation Baver. Let's see. In his career, 12 years, 49 saves. Okay. Including in 89, he had 21. But in 88, he was definitely not the primary closer. Only appeared in 16 games. 0-2 mark, but a 1.77 ERA. The, uh, the one save there in only 20 innings. A 2.11 ERA plus, though. Let's see how that equates with those small number of innings. That's a .9, and he's got a little wispy mustache, so that'll be an even .1. An even point out of Joe Baver. Joe Baver the Saver. The Saver, yeah. You know, it doesn't list that as his nickname. Traded by Atlanta to Philadelphia for starving Marvin Freeman. Oh, nice. I was thinking... When you uh, when the uh, manager brings in Joe Baver, hands him the ball, walks off the mound, you play leave it to Baver. Uh, well, here here we go. A career reliever, Baver was most notable for throwing a palm ball, nicknamed Baver the Saver. He was a closer <laughs> for the '89 Braves. So there's there always somebody ahead of us. What's up with? That? I know, right? All right. So you're at three point six. Next, you've got another pitcher. With a with a good mustache here. He's got his tongue sticking out in the middle of his windup. It's a pitcher for the Mariners, Jerry Reed. Didn't Jerry Reed play the beaver? Oh, that's yes, Jerry, Jerry Mathis, Reed so as the beaver. <laughs> oh, there's, Jerry Reed also is the actor that played uh, the truck driver in Smokey and the Bandit. He was the oh, one oh. with the with the orangutan, the right turn or not right turn, Clyde. That was Clint Eastwood. But he was the uh, Jerry Reed was also the uh, the truck driver in Smokey and the Bandit. So he was Philo Beto's uh, agent kind of guy in, in those uh, Clint Eastwood movies. Is that what you're talking about? I have no idea. 
All right. But uh, big news, Jerry Maxwell Reed shares my birthday. Oh. I mean, he was born like 17 years ahead of me, but. That is an automatic zero points, man. <laughs> Let's see. In 1988, he went one and one with 3.96 in 46 games. He got one save, 86 in the third inning, struck out 48, a 106 ERA plus, and that is a .8 war. He's definitely got, eh, yeah, he's definitely got real strips. He's got a mustache, too. So, again, you're going to get a positive one even for Jerry Reed. No, no big scores yet. No, really not. Next, you have got a infielder for the Giants. It's Jeff Wasinger. I'm wow. sorry, it's Mark Wasinger. I got Mark Jeff. Wasinger. Yeah, it's either me or you, pal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? W-A-S-Z? W It's W-A Singer. Okay. Wazinger. Only three years in the big leagues, but lucky for you, 1988 was one of them. Yay. Let's see. But 1980 was his uh, third and final year in the big leagues. He only appeared in three games. So oh. probably not a big help. He, he 86 was his rookie year. He appeared in three games. 87, he appeared in 44. And then in 88, three. And then he was he was done. Let's see. He he didn't get a hit. He had a minus one hundred OPS plus <laughs> and a uh, WAR of minus point one. But he's got a mustache, so well, there you go. you're gonna you're gonna even out right there. So this is uh, the most incredibly average team I've ever pulled. I yeah, think. this is really you're not really scaring me here with any of these guys. Ah, well, you know he went on to a bit of a career as a scout afterwards. He became a scout for the Padres where he signed Jake Peavy. Then he joined the Red Sox where he became a special assignment scout for Theo Epstein. Huh. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good. All right, Mark. We, I, uh, our new intern here has uh, just informed me that Jerry Reed played two of his final three seasons in Seattle. Oh, nice job. Yeah, so that's going to be a positive point, too. All right, so you that, that'll bump you up to 4.8. Next, we have got good player here for the Tigers. First baseman, Daryl Evans. Oh, man, a hitter. Nicknamed Howdy Doody. I can see that with his, his face. He's uh, got kind of a round face. Daryl Wayne Evans, 21 years in the big leagues. Eight with Atlanta, I'm sorry, nine with Atlanta. Eight with San Francisco and five with Detroit. In 1988, he was wrapping up his career. He was a 41-year-old who still appeared in 144 games for the Tigers at first base in DH. 337 on base, 22 home runs still. As a 41-year-old, 64 Mm. RBI and a 105 OPS+. As a 38-year-old in 85, he led the league with 40 home runs. Wow. That's pretty good. He walked a ton, too. 1988, let's see, that is a .9 on the uh, war scale. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out. It's interesting. A a quote here says that Bill James rated Evans as the most underrated player in baseball history. Well, I'm not going to argue with Mr. Bill James, but I'm also not going to (laughs) agree. His grandfather played for the San Francisco Seals in the PCL. Oh, nice. Uh, I see the words mediocre fielding highlighted several times here. Also earned the nickname Clank due to his fielding difficulties. Ouch. Very similar to Skillet. Clank is the sound of a skillet with a baseball hitting it. Oh, I like this. Evans was hired as the Yankees hitting 
coach in 1990 and is credited with making a change in rookie Kevin Moss's swing, allowing him to hit more home runs. Hmm. All right, so you're at 5.7. Next, well, you've got a, this is a definite two-tenths of a point mustache. Pitcher for the Padres, Eric Shaw. Eric, win, place, or Shaw. All right, Eric Von Shaw rhymes with now is what I'm told by baseball reference. 11 years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see, in 1988 with the Padres. Wow, 16 and 11 with a 3.26 ERA. Had 13 complete games, including one shutout. 234 and two-thirds innings. Uh, 144 strikeouts, a 105 ERA plus, and all of that will equal a positive 3.4 for the late Eric Shaw. He's got that two-tenths mustache, and he's also got real stirrups, so that'll be a 3.7. Take that. Uh, so Shaw, of course, probably most remembered for giving up Pete Rose's record-breaking hit. And I'm pretty sure that was in Cincinnati. I seem to remember that being on AstroTurf. Um, of course, later had some problems with drugs and uh, was found, passed away in a hotel room in 1994. Yeah, it, he had a, a very highly publicized uh, battle with Andre Dawson. Do you remember that? Oh, is it he was, the uh, guy that hit him in the helmet? He hit him in the cheekbone. Yeah. And then it was all oh boy, they're going to play again in two months. What's going to happen? And it was all this tension. And it was more like they wanted to throw at each other to get it over with and to actually continue to push the envelope on that issue. Well, Shao uh, was a bit of a hothead here. Uh, after giving up that hit to Pete Rose, they stopped the game and had a ceremony. Shao just stayed on top of the mound with his arms folded during the entire thing. <laughs> Even his teammates called it Bush League. Oh, wow. And got into a shoving match with one of my favorites and Edgar Martinez's cousin, Carmelo Martinez. Mm. Wow. Teammates not big fans of him. It says this is why we won't score runs for him. Guys don't want to play for him. And uh, a former guest of the show, Dave Dravecki, gave delivered the eulogy at Eric Chow's funeral. Well, I guess we shouldn't speak too, too, too poorly about him then. Uh, okay, your final card. You're at 9.4. Your final card. I'm going to just say this and see if you can get this. I'm betting some of our listeners can. He is a member of the Baltimore Orioles, and he was wearing number 88. 88 for the Orioles. I'm drawing a blank on that. This is, I, nobody wore numbers this high back, in, especially in 1988. But this guy always did, and I, can, I always remembered him because of that. It is Rene Gonzalez. Huh. No, I wouldn't have got that. So props to anybody, any of our listeners out there that, that were yelling Rene Gonzalez at their podcast device of choice. Congratulations. Uh, Rene Adrian Gonzalez, 13 years in the big leagues, four with Baltimore, three with California, and then a whole bunch of other places. In 1988, in Baltimore, 92 games, 263 on base, 51 OPS plus, two home runs, 15 RBI. Not a great year. His lifetime didn't have great numbers, but still, 13 years in the big leagues, nothing to yeah. be embarrassed by. A war still of 0.4. Nothing else on this card is going to get you anything, though, so you'll just stick with the 0.4. He did pitch once in 1993, pitched for one inning, zeros across the board. Nice. That's pretty impressive. Didn't walk anybody, didn't give up a hit, didn't give up any runs. So that's not something we see very often when we <laughs> look at pitching numbers for position players. No, that's a rare one. Wow. So 
in 86, he was traded from Montreal to Baltimore for a player to be named later. That player to be named later was Dennis Martinez. (laughs) Wow, really? El Presidente, a player to be named later. Wow. That's some disrespect there, if you ask me. I guess so. Denny was was an ace. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, That's going to finish your round at 9.8. Not the best score. No, but I I don't feel like we're going to get a lot of high scores from this pack. These packs of 88 Fleer. Uh, go back to the days when we were looking them up in Beckett for two cents a piece? Yes, that's pretty much what it was. So looking at your cards here, I think I am going to lose my bottom five. Okay. Uh, So let's go ahead and open this up and see. Uh, Well, Juan Samuel with an all-star card. That's going to probably hurt. Gary Gaetti. Always bad to lose him. Brian Fisher with the Bucks. Henry Cotto with the Yankees and Chuck Krim with the Brewers. We didn't have a single Yankee or Red Sox in that. Uh, no, there wasn't. I got stickers in my pack. You did not. Oh, that's not right. And one of the stickers is a Yankee sticker. Do that, I get that's points? minus one? No, no, that's that's my team. No, that's minus one. Doesn't matter. Well, right. Okay, we'll call it even. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. All right, so I'm going to start off with a Dodger. I think I remember him, unless I'm getting him confused with another Devereaux, it is Mike Devereaux. Yeah, Mike Devereaux. I think of the, of him, the uh, Orioles. Wasn't that, um, I think that's another Devereaux that I'm getting confused with, but let's see here. No, uh, Devereaux did play for the Orioles. He came yeah, up he with did. the Dodgers, I think. Yeah, he came up with the Dodgers, 12 years in the big league, seven with Baltimore, three okay. with the Dodgers, and then one with a couple of other teams. In 1988 with the Dodgers, he only appeared in 30 games, uh, 156 on base, and a minus 14 OPS plus. I'm going to start out with a minus 0.3. He does have a mustache, though, so I'll take that. It'll only be a minus 0.2. He also, uh, you know, got a World Series ring for this year, so. I've got an interesting fact about Mr. Devereaux. Okay. He uh, is second in career home runs by a player born in Wyoming. W-Y-O. We got Casper Wyoming. Only John Buck has more home runs. John Buck. I am not familiar with John Buck. But John Buck definitely sounds (laughs) Wyoming-ish. I guess so. You're a cowboy. That's right. All right. Next, we've got an Oakland Athletic. And uh, he was traded for Ricky at one point. I'll just say that. It's Luis Polonia. Oh, well, let's move on to the next player. Yeah, this is uh, Luis is on our strict do not talk about list. And boy, uh, if you if you read the Ricky book, you get some in-depth knowledge as to what was going on with Luis Polonia. A awful human being. I believe he is still in prison where he should remain. Luis Andrew Polonia. Let's just go to 1988-84 games, 333 on base, 104 OPS plus. And a 1.5 war. He has got a mustache and fake stirrups here, so it'll just be a 1.5 for me. All right, moving on from he who shall not be named. Pitcher for the Expos, Neil Heaton. Neil Heaton. I believe married to Patricia Heaton. Uh, Yeah, we made that joke last time. We had (laughs) Neil Heaton. Uh, (laughs) Now it would be a shame if Neil Heaton didn't have a good fastball. If he, was a, if he was a junk ball pitcher with the name Heaton. 
Let's see, in 1988 for Montreal, he went 3-10. and 10. I feel like I'm falling back into my old form here. Uh, 4.99 ERA, two saves, 97 in the third innings, 72 ERA plus, and that is going to equal a minus 0.8. He's got a mustache, so it'll only be a minus 0.7. Neil Heaton was inducted into the Suffolk Sports Hall of Fame on Long Island. Any idea who else is uh, included in that? Those uh, hallowed halls? I think it's a closet, and there's a couple other people, but I don't remember who they were. All right, I got a Hall of Famer. This might do it. I might Uh-oh. win right here. Uh-oh. Uh, he's also not wearing any batting gloves. Is that That's not one of our things, though, is it? No. Oh, yeah, no, batting without batting gloves. He is not wearing batting gloves because his bat is full of pine tar. If that gives you any clue as to who my <laughs> Hall of Famer is. Something known for pine tar. Who could that be? <laughs> it's George Brett. I'm happy about this one. This is a, well, this first just a good looking card. He's got the, the royal, the powder blue away uniform. He's got no batting gloves and he's just got a bat that looks like he rolled it in pine tar. Let's see here. Uh, obviously, as we said, a Hall of Famer. 12 years in the big leagues. All of it. All of it with Lord's favorite team in baseball, the Kansas City Royals. 1988, George Brett's final All-Star appearance. So that'll help me out as well. Hit 306, 389 on base, 24 home runs, 103 RBI, 14 stolen bases, and only three caught stealing. Wow. That's pretty good. A one, That's a veteran right there. Yeah, 149 OPS plus. For his career, 201 stolen bases, but 97 caught stealing. Huh. Uh, early in his career, he went he went seven consecutive seasons with double figures in stolen bases. Hmm. But he was basically doing it at a 500 clip at that point. Ah, gotcha. As he got older, he picked his spots a lot better and did sure. a much better job. All of this equates to a 5.2 war. He is a Hall of Famer, and he was an all-star, so that is 6.7, plus the no batting gloves is a 6.8. Ouch. That's two-thirds of your final score on one card there. That'll take me to 7.4. George Brett never pitched, but I kind of get the feeling like if he was playing in today's game, he would want to pitch at some point. He just seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, I think he'd be competitive enough to do it and to, to really take it seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he'd take it Wade Boggs serious is what yeah. I think. All right. Next, you have got a catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. It's Terry McGriff, who I believe is related to Fred. Hmm. I'm not sure, but let's take a look. Yeah. Cousin with Fred McGriff, uncle of Charles Johnson. There you go. Uh, let's see. In 1988 with the Reds, he only appeared in 35 games. He played for six years, four of it with the Reds. 35 games in 1988 was his career high of games that he appeared in. 284 on base, 56 OPS plus, and a .2 war. I'll take it. Uh, nothing else on this card's going to help me out. All right. Status update me, man. Where we stand? Well, I'm at 7.6. You're at 9.8. Uh, McGriff caught a no-hitter from Jack Armstrong with the Nashville Sounds. The only base runner was a walk in that game oh, wow. in 1988. Nice game. All right, so I have got five cards left here. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good here. All right, next we've got a pitcher for the Rangers at this point. Also ended up with the A's, I think, in 91. It's Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt. Not going to talk about Junior. Not this time. No. Let's see. Bobby Witt. 
father of Bobby Witt. It, they don't put a junior here. It's just he's the father of himself. Robert Andrew Witt, 16 years in the big leagues, 142-157 overall. Most of it was with Texas, 11 in Texas, three with Oakland. In 1988, his third year in the big leagues, he went 8-10 and 10 with the 3.92 ERA, 13 complete games, two shutouts, 174 and a third innings pitched, only 134 hits, struck out 148, but walked 101. Three of his first four years in the big leagues, he led the league in walks. And two of the first three, he led the league in wild pitches. So some wow, control nice. problems, yeah. control problems early. All of this still equals a 1.8 war for me, which I will take. That'll bump me up to 9.4. I'm breathing down your back. Can you name Bobby Witt's uh, Jr.'s agent? Uh, Bobby Witt Jr.'s agent. I'm pretty. It's Bobby Witt. <laughs> I was going to guess that, but. <laughs> so I mentioned his control problems. This is a great nickname. His nickname early in his career was Witt and Wild. <laughs> That's clever. Baseball people can really be clever when they want to be. That's good. With the A's, lost a perfect game bid when in the sixth inning when Gary Cedarstrom called Greg Gagne safe on a close bunt play. Replay showed he was out. Why didn't they challenge? I don't understand. <laughs> the days when we just had to deal with and live with bad calls. All right. Next, I have got a pitcher for the New York Metropolitans, John Mitchell. Didn't he write the Mitchell report? I think he had something to do with it. All right. Let's see. John Mitchell, five years in the big leagues, four of it with the Mets, 1988. He appeared in one game. He pitched one inning, gave up two hits, one walk, struck out one. Nobody scored. <laughs> so he made, he made the most of that half inning or that one inning. A war of 0.1. So nothing else on this card is going to help me out, but it didn't hurt me. This is true. Let's see. Traded by the Red Sox with Bobby Ojeda to the Mets for Calvin Chiraldi and a couple of other guys. Boy, a couple of names from 1986 right there. Yeah, that really is. So, you know, we've talked about the the Cleveland boat accident that took a couple of players' lives well, uh, in the middle of the season. October 30th, 1983, Mitchell and two fellow Red Sox minor leaguers, Anthony Latham and Scott Scripco, were deep sea fishing off the coast of Florida when their boat capsized. The owner of the boat and Anthony Latham both drowned. Scrip Co. and Mitchell survived over 20 hours in the water clinging to debris. Oh my gosh. Mitchell held onto a bucket for 22 hours. Wow. (laughs) I'd never heard that story. That is absolutely terrifying. He uh, has uh, four children and his middle child he named Johnny Latham Mitchell in memory of his fallen teammate. Oh. All right, I got three cards left here, and I trail by only a three-tenths of a point. Oh, boy, we need a really big, crummy season. All right, well, here you go. Third baseman for the Cardinals. I think this guy played forever. Doug DeSensees. Mm-hmm, he did. Let's see. Douglas Vernon DeSensees. 15 years in the big leagues. Unfortunately, 1988 was not one of them. He retired after the 87 season, or at least never made it to the big leagues again. 15 years in the big leagues, nine with Baltimore, six with California, and then a final year with St. Louis. Overall, a 329 on-base career, a 115 on-base 
uh, OPS plus for his career and a war of 41.7. That's pretty good. Definitely. Never pitched. He seems like another one of those guys that would have definitely <laughs> pitched. Member of the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame, as well as the Pierce College Athletic Hall of Fame. Hmm. Interesting here. He was his experiences in Japan meant that he got actually hired to be a consultant for the 1992 movie, Mr. Baseball. That is awesome. I love that movie. Young Frank Thomas. Too. Yes. <laughs> playing the, 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 the rookie that Tom Selleck helps out. Also a lot of, a lot of Mundry laundering, laundering and, and security frauds involved in yeah, the Doug like Sensei that. story. <laughs> Felony counts and stuff like that. Oh, but look at that. He had Rod Carew come and speak on his behalf in court. So you can't well, be all that bad. That's true. All right, so that didn't, I, I got nothing there from that. So I'm still at 9.5, two cards left. We've got Uncle Milt, Milt Thompson with the Philadelphia Phillies here. Milton Bernard Thompson, a.k.a. Papa Thompson, a.k.a. Uncle Milty, a.k.a. Scooter. 13 years in the big leagues, five with the Phillies, four with the Cardinals. In 1988, appeared in 122 games, 354 on base, 105 OPS+. plus. Two home runs, 33 RBI, 17 stolen bases, nine caught stealing. He stole 46 the year before. That's a lot of bases for Milt Thompson. All of this equals a war of 1.8. Nothing on this card is going to help me out, but that puts me ahead somehow, which I will take. Come on, fake stirrups. (laughs) Oh, like a team photo. With everybody wearing fake stirrups. So this is odd. The, uh, the the Wikipedia page for Milt Thompson has a trivia section. Something we don't see with anybody else except Weird. for Milt Thompson. One of the trivia facts is that he attended Colonel Zadok A. Magruder, Magruder High School. Which, I don't know what makes that a trivia fact. <laughs> but he did. Notable alumni. Uh, let's see, Sarah Cooper, comedian. Uh, I'm just looking for anybody that I actually, who, whose name I know. And Milt Thompson. Those. <laughs> oh, wait, Chris Carmack. Didn't we talked about him at some point, didn't we? Did we? I thought he did had something to do with a baseball show or movie. Am I, am I completely off? I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh, well, that would have been too cool if that would have. Yeah, I don't see anything here. All right. Well, regardless, let's move on to our final card. I am, uh, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm ahead now. Eleven point three compared to your nine point eight, and our final card. He's got a mustache, which helps me. It's Rob Ducey of the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> let's see, Rob Ducey, thirteen years in the big leagues. I'm sorry, Robert Thomas Ducey, thirteen years in the big leagues. Seven with Toronto, three with Philadelphia. In 1988, it was his second year. Only appeared in 27 games, a 361 on base, 120 OPS plus, and that will equal a war of 0.7 plus the mustache is a 0.8, and I have leveled the score. I've won three in a row. Wow. Which is pretty much unheard of, and I think this is our year. This, this could be. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I think this is our year. I don't, I don't well, want to jinx it or anything. We're going to do everything we can to, uh, to oppose you, but uh, if, if, you, uh, if you succeed, it will be well-earned. He played in Seattle, but not, not his final three years. He did not. But All right, well, I'll take it. We're level at three again. I've, we're starting over. Now it's a race to 17. 
Congratulations all around. Orange slices, Sunny D, and shoulder rubs. Congrats. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to wrap up the episode of the show. So if you cannot get enough of us, please feel free to follow us on the social medias. We can be found at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, all of them. We also have an email address that Mark watches like a hawk, just waiting for email. He's going to tell us about I sit and stare at the inbox sometimes. So just hoping to get some kind of communication. You can write to us at Two Strike Noise. Spell it out. T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. Nobody communicates with him except for that way. So he's very interested in emails. <laughs> so please, right. please just send him a note. <laughs> but, all right. That'll do it for this episode. We will see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.